0: From the silver screen to the GM screen, Never Say Die asks, what can we learn from movies to enhance our RPG experience? This season, we're all about kids on bikes movies, where kids 18 years of age or younger get themselves into and out of trouble and keep their agency while doing so, usually in a specific location, which is essential to the plot. I'm Rafe Telsh, film critic. And I'm Drew Meyer. Game enthusiast, And today we're talking 2011's Attack the Block, written and directed by Joe Cornish and starring John Boyega, Jodie Whittaker, and Nick Frost, among others. <laughs>
1: yeah, we are. <laughs>
0: Now, we should say up front, and we should have said it before our Goonies episode, our first episode as well, uh, we are going to talk about this movie in depth, which does mean we are going to spoil it. So if you are not familiar with 2011's Attack the Block, and you want to see it clean, you should probably pause the podcast now, go watch it. It's only, what, 88 minutes? 88 minutes, and that's three of those are credits. Right, right, and then come back and listen to the rest of this because we are going to talk about it in depth, which means we probably will spoil some elements of it. And uh it's it's a nifty movie. It's worth seeing. Uh I, I don't know that spoilers would have ruined my uh viewing experience, but just to get that out there, we do talk about the movies in depth. So Drew, this movie sits at ninety percent at Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, with an audience score of seventy five percent, so this is something that the critics liked uh more than the audiences, but that's still a pretty positive movie. Do you want to give us your elevator pitch for this movie?
1: Yeah, okay, how about this? Slang spouting South London youths kill an alien that interrupts at their criminal activities and then they have to retreat to their council estate homes pursued by the slain alien's bigger potential mates. There you go. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Slang spouting?
1: <laughs> Slang spouting. I right, listen. There is so much patois. There is so much character that is built in the language that is used in this film that to not include it in the elevator pitch for this would be uh, as criminal as... As the youths themselves.
0: Yeah, I, I agree, and and I I have to say I appreciate a piece of guidance you gave me because I had not seen this movie before, and you suggested uh, watching it with the subtitles on <laughs> because it is uh, very uh, deep British accents spoken throughout. Uh, especially as you get into that almost Cockney rhyming type uh, slang that's in it. Sure. So.
1: Yeah. And I, I think one of the things, and, and I don't want anyone to hear this and feel like, ooh, maybe I shouldn't watch it. Um, I think f- as an American, it take is going to take you a little bit of time. I bet if you, 30 minutes into the movie, if you turned those subtitles off, you'd be fine. Yeah. I think it just takes a moment for us to kind of get a feel for what is being said. Uh, but that's not a bad thing. It no. really, I think, in the same way that the location is a character in this film, the language feels like its own kind of unique touch to it. Uh, and I, I, for one, really love it.
0: Yeah, it definitely helps build the bond between the group that, you know, that they are all kind of throwing about the same kind of slang. But we'll, we'll get to more about that in a little later. Yeah, sure. Later. You this was your choice. It was. Yeah. Why did you choose Attack the Block as your pick for this month's film?
1: You know, it's funny cuz knowing that you were going to ask this question, I w- I wrote down a list of things. I was like, "Okay, why why did I?" I mean, I I know why. I I had like A couple of different reasons, but then I realized I actually had a lot. So we'll go with the the most ephemeral one. Uh, it's not often that we can talk about a movie in November that takes place on November, right? So it's, it's November 5th, it's Guy Fawkes night. (laughs) I mean, that's the real main reason, right? We're, we're doing it to celebration of the gunpowder plot night. No, of course not. Um, okay. So there's a couple of reasons. One, you had never seen this and this is, uh, I, I love introducing this film to people, uh, because you are right. You mentioned it earlier. This is not as well known as it, Probably should be. Uh, I'm playing my hand a little bit here, but I really like this film too. I really like this film. Uh, <laughs> and one of the reasons I like it is specifically for this podcast, for the purposes of this podcast is it subverts a lot of what the Goonies represents as far as the genre is concerned with kids on bikes. It is modern. It is a challenge. Uh, you you know, we mentioned this in our inter- intermission last time, that is one of the few Kids on Bikes films that takes place in contemporary times where people have cell phones. And even though, you know, at the time of recording in 2021, this film is 10 years old. Right. Um, the technology has changed dramatically, but I don't think it necessarily affects the film as much. And it does help maybe key in some changes that we could add in a role-playing aspect of it. Right. And that's just for contemporary times. It's also a very violent film uh, and combat is going to, and combat and violence are going to solve quite a few of the problems that present themselves. Again, very different from The Goonies. So it's really nice to be able to see this in comparison to a film that we essentially said it was the classic, the setup for for uh, kids on bikes films. Um, what else? Let's see. It raises some very interesting issues about race uh, and class. So that's something that we don't. I don't think we get very often in in these sort of films. And really, possibly the most important. Uh, it begins with an homage to E.T. in which the young kids find the alien in a shed and kill it. So, um, <laughs> see, if, if Elliot had just done that would have saved me a lot of grief growing up. So,
0: I, I had not thought about that opening being an homage to E.T., but I guess in, in some ways you're right.
1: Oh, there's, there's a sh- almost shot by shot where they frame the, the kind of the shed in the backdrop.
0: Yeah, I, I just, I, I I hadn't caught those. So that's, heck, that's something to watch the film again, just to, to check those out. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you know, I don't really need an excuse to watch this. This is sort of almost a comfort viewing for me at this point in time. And I have watched it, I, I'd say, since we selected it uh, two weeks ago, I've probably watched it three times just to, uh, I went through, did my notes, went through again, and then I
0: had it on today. I was building a bookshelf and I thought, yeah, I'll just put it on again. Why not? All right, so the next question on our list, of course, uh, in discussing this movie is, is this a kids on bike movie, Drew? Rafe, I listen, I wouldn't have selected
1: this if I didn't think it was a kids-on-bikes movie. So my question to you, Rafe, is do you think that this is a kids-on-bikes movie? I'm iffy on it. <laughs> Please tell me why you're iffy, because
0: I love the way that this will generate a conversation. I looked at the criteria that we discussed – sure you, you know then and, and we've we laid that out in our zero episode we've rediscussed it in our, our first episode and and we've even put it into our intro kids 18 ye- years of age or younger get themselves into and out of trouble keep their agency usually a specific location which is essential to the plot and it does kind of check all of those boxes I mean I would I would argue that it definitely clicks all of those boxes but the issue I have one And this is getting late into the film, is our leader, our our group leader, uh, um, Moses, played by John Boyega, doesn't look like a kid. And the female member who ends up coming along with the group, played by Jodie Whittaker, Sam, is not a kid. Uh, We have several other characters introduced who are not kids. So there is a lot of uh, an older presence. And even the kids that are in this are teens, um, although we do have two little ones introduced uh, along the way so I feel like the age is a factor like I I went through a lot of this movie thinking I mean because there's even conversations about learning stuff at university and and such and then it's revealed late in the film that that Moses is only 15 right and I, I I, I suspend a lot of disbelief in a movie where you have uh, wolf, bear, alien type things running around. But I don't know that John Boyega as a 15-year-old is within that willing suspension of disbelief.
1: Well, considering that John Boyega was 18 years old when he made this film, God. he still counts as a teenager. And everybody else. And that's sort of, I think, really one of the more important parts of the film is that reveal of his true age. what makes you realize that there is this young gentleman who is – sorry – I, I should definitely, definitely not say gentlemen. It's just one of the things that I say. That's my own patois coming out there. Uh, when yeah. you see this, uh, these youths acting the way they have, are and behaving the way they are at the Council of States, and it, it is a made, there's an assumption being made really early on when you can't see their faces, right? When they show up um, to circle Jody Whittaker with masks on, that they could be at any age. But right. the individuals who are actually doing the work who have the agency are all 18 years or un- under the entire time, and while we have in almost every single kids on bikes movie, there is at least one background adult who helps them almost without fail. Goonies is an exception to the rule, but except for Sloth, right? So Sloth sort of uh, while is physically an adult. Uh, you can argue, you know, whether or not Sloth becomes sort of like more like a Goonie because of his mental age or what his abilities are. And while Jodie Whittaker is definitely helpful throughout it, her role changes so often from being that of victim to being kind of unwilling partner to <laughs> willing partner to quasi... I don't want to say quasi-savior because, you know, the way the movie ends, it's it's ambiguous what happens next. But, you know, Bruce. Not – doesn't really affect too much. He is sort of along for the ride. I, I think none of the other adults really have as much of an effect with them. For instance, yeah. if you were to remove them and it was just the teens, I don't think you get a that different of a film. Right. With the exception of Jodie Whittaker.
0: Right. No, and I and I think that's valid. Um, I, I mean, I, I think if you go by the criteria – and, and I, I think it comes down to the criteria that we've laid down versus a criteria in my head – Um, By the criteria that we've laid down, yes, it is a kids on bikes movie. I would not, if I had just watched this of my own accord, I would not consider this a kids on bikes movie just on its own. I would not put this in the same category with stuff like The Goonies or E.T. or uh what was the one I watched uh the the end of the world Rim of Rim of the World or whatever that one is. Right, sure. Uh I, I would not put it in the same category with those, but I, I guess looking at it from that point, yeah, I mean it is a kids on bikes, but there's a lot of older presence here. You're right, the the kids are still the ones with agency. Um the other thing I found really interesting about this that I don't think can be said of any of the other kids on bikes movies that, w- that that I've seen on our list is at the very beginning of this film the kids on the bikes are antagonist they're not protagonists we are introduced to them as bad guys yes and agreed. then we switch to them. And they're still kind of bad guys throughout the whole thing. I mean, there's drug use and there's profanity and there's, as you said, weapons. I mean, these are not the Goonies. (laughs) No, they're not. And here's the thing,
1: too. The subgenre of kids on bikes is very pliable. And what I like about it is we are going to have adventure films. We're going to have horror films. We're going to have science fiction films. We are going to have love stories and coming-of-age stories, and all of that falls under that kind of umbrella term of kids on bikes. And you're right. We are probably never going to review another film in which the kids in questions are as much... I mean, at best, they're antiheroes in this. Oh, yeah. You know, at worst, they are absolutely the bad guys, per se. And the film is there's a lot in this film. Really, this is one of those things where we should have been on your other podcast discussing this for 90 (laughs) minutes because I think this film deserves a really long look, but we're going to go over it very briefly. Yes. Again, we are dealing with a council of states. This new brutalism architecture, this area where the police don't really want to go, this is a place where the poor and the immigrants and this is South London like good people don't go walking through these neighborhoods right like right. that's that's the sort of idea that is being represented outside of this but what this shows is the community that exists within and the bonds that are happening between those members of the community so i think this film is asking us to suspend some original biases but at the same time, they're not saying that our biases aren't unfounded in, in a certain way, right? Like, right, right. You're, you're absolutely right. These kids aren't necessarily good guys.
0: They're they're, they're chaotic evil or at best chaotic neutral. <laughs> I don't know about
1: evil per se. If Boyega's character had actually drawn a blade and cut Jody Whitaker, I would not be able to root for them throughout the film. Fair enough. But because they are using intimidation techniques, because they are, in fact, children. They are children. Like, right. there's there's not a one of them that is a legal adult in this film. They are children, and whether or not their actions can be considered justified, and they really aren't, but the way they're presented, it, at least the way the movie presents them, it, it requires us to, you know, kind of sit back and, and question. And that's, I think, part of the charm of this film, is that it is giving us heroes that uh, are not heroes with a heart of gold, right? These are not hot Solo's where they're, you know, we're told they're bad guys <laughs> right. only because they shoot first. But gosh, they certainly pulled their knives first, right? Like you know, we have to decide individually individually how much we want to root for them, even though the movie is definitely encouraging us to do so.
0: No, I, I got you. Okay, all right. So we that's that, thats enough on, on that. Yes, it's a kids on bike film. The short version. Too long, didn't read. Yes, it's a kids on bikes film. Oh, we should mention also that each and every one of them has a
1: bike and they use them almost through 50% of the movie. Like, I don't know how often we are going to see a F- kids on bikes film where they are on their bikes, mopeds, scooters, as much as, as this one. There's maybe about 50% of them. Like, yeah. This is certainly more bikeage than we were getting in the Goonies.
0: Which is interesting because this essentially takes place within one city block as opposed to the Goonies, which is spread out and under the, all these underground caverns and such. Yeah. <laughs> Yep, yeah, correct. Uh, it is worth mentioning uh, the Evolution of Horror podcast will be covering Attack the Block uh, the week that this comes out. So uh, that, that's one of your favorite podcasts.
1: It is. It's one that I've fairly... I, I've, I discovered it. How colonialist of me. Uh, no, it's one that I've discovered fairly recently and really enjoyed it because as you, as you know, I love talking about horror films. Uh, I wouldn't say that this is a horror film. Um, this is certainly an alien invasion movie uh, as well as being a kids on bikes film. But uh, I'm really curious uh, to see what they have to say. I'm always curious to see what anyone has to say about films that I like. So okay. yeah, I'm looking forward to checking that out as well.
0: So I, I already admitted this was my first time watching this film. I had not seen it before preparing for this podcast. When did you see it first? I, I definitely saw it before Jodie Whittaker was announced as the,
1: the next Doctor. This is one that I think came to Netflix or one of the streaming services really early on once I started getting them. So I probably saw it around 2013, 2014. And I know that the first attempt at watching it was a little difficult for me, again, because of the accents. Uh, And so I watched about half of it, decided I really liked it and wanted to give it another chance, but I was just, I guess, distracted by something else. And so I watched it again, uh, probably within a week later. And then I would say I watched it about once a year. And it had been about a year or more before we decided to do this podcast. I went back and rewatched it, and it was one of the reasons I th- I, I thought this would be a really fun topic to cover the, for the first season for the for the podcast. Okay, so cool. yeah, i would probably seen about ten times, um,
0: at least three this. <laughs> like I was, was going to say at weeks. least three in the last week. <laughs> Uh, so next, we're going to talk about the good, the bad, and the ugly. What were the highlights, the bad bits, and the worst bits? Uh, we will start with the good. Uh, Drew, what is good about this movie to you?
1: I think there's so much that I really enjoy about this film.
0: I think we can go back
1: and forth on this one. I'm gonna first off, I want to say the creatures. We have we live in this time period where like. It's really hard to come up with something original. And I think that this film has created uh, an interesting-looking alien that I hadn't really seen before that has certain aspects that are unique to these uh, and that I really dig. You know, that first image where we see the glowing blue eyes in the distance and then the eyes shift and you realize it's a mouth. Yeah. That's iconic. And the fact that the creatures are pitch black... And you can't see them uh, it, with the exception of those, that glowing mouth is such a cool way of one, if, if you step back in a kind of a meta look for filmmakers to be able to basically use puppets for a lot of scenes, even though it doesn't look like it. If you just watch the you know director's commentary and such, but I've seen a lot of fan art of it and I just, I like the way they look. And I think that's, again, I have mentioned plenty of times that I'm a creature feature guy. Uh, so this made me really happy to kind of re-examine these how about yeah
0: you? i'll i'll agree with you i mean that was the thing that stood out most to me uh was the the creature design uh, and i and i love the fact that they even comment on it within the movie that there's the line right. about it being a blacker than black it's not just a, a cinematic trick for us as the audience but it is what they see as well as it is this moving black shape with the glowing element and this weird never addressed sonic noise that is made when they're looking around yeah i mean they sort of address it as being echolocation because the
1: creatures don't have eyes right like right. we as we as earth people can kind of associate that lack of eyes nighttime creature bat like thing and I, I don't know how much of it is really uh, addressed i think we just kind of have to read into it in the same way that I don't know, when looking at something like Tremors, where you kind of have to just accept certain aspects of of those creatures as being
0: working within the plot. Right. So, yeah, I really and, and of course, I've talked about my preference for practical effects. It gives the actor something to react to. And, uh, you know, as an actor, a big part of acting is reacting. And it's a hell of a lot easier to react when you've got this scary puppet there uh, to interact with, as opposed to, oh, look at the dot. And pretend something's there. It, it, it to me it makes for a better film all in all. By as much as you can use practical effects, and I really appreciate that element of this film.
1: Yeah, well, tell me something else you like about it, because I got I got plenty more, but I don't want to hog the uh, mic.
0: I, I liked the chemistry between the boys. Once I finally got past the fact that these are the kids I would yell at to get off my lawn. Uh, once I finally started getting to know the kids, I really appreciated it. And a lot of this has to do with that patois that you talked about earlier. You know, the way they banter off each other, the way they harass each other and like you have the two as I said the little ones and the little ones is my own private joke because when you had the scene at the beginning where they encounter the alien my brain went to this is feels like like an urban version of Lord of the Flies because these kids are not being supervised they're not and this is the behavior that they've fallen to Um, and in Lord of the Flies there's a distinction between the biggins and the little Um, ones but you've got these little kids who look up to this gang that they want to be a part of this gang they want to adopt their own street names instead of the names that they've actually been born with the chemistry between and you really got the feeling like especially when they get into the drug story line where you have high hats who is you know kind of the drug kingpin that they're encountering Mm -hmm. and you know high hats doesn't give a darn about any of the people who work for him and i mean hell we see that when uh when they first encounter the alien and uh tonks is uh not the harry potter character but you really quickly get the feeling with this gang that even though Moses is the leader, he's the leader because they all respect him and because he would do anything for any of them. It doesn't feel like the same relationship that Hi-Hats has with his stooges. Here, they, they feel, I mean, I hate to be cliche and I hate to go there, but I just needed Vin Diesel to drive up and start talking about family because that's what it right. felt like. <laughs> There's that moment
1: where they are fleeing the the aliens in the vehicle. They've just saved Moses. They crash into Hi-Hats. Hi-Hats pulls a gun on Moses, and the moment he does, without hesitation, the rest of the crew pull their makeshift weapons. Right. They are going to back their, their leader. They're going to back their friend. And, I mean, you know, it's a narrative shorthand, but I have a thing for loyalty right. in, in films, and I loved it. It made me realize that even though physically they may not be capable, they worked together as a team. This is something right. that, you know, they're best friends. They hang out with each other. They It's ride and die with these kids. And uh, just seeing that, I think that's the turning point where you're really – you kind of root for them and feel like they have a chance.
0: Right. Exactly. And as I said, I, once I got past the idea that this was kind of a group of thugs, uh, I was able to see that and accept that. And that made me like these characters a lot more than I did after the first, you know, 10 minutes of the movie. So, yeah.
1: Yeah. We don't ever have to worry about them turning on each other which right. is very important, right? Especially especially when we start talking about the role-playing aspect of this group, you know, just like the Goonies. Goonies never say die. These members who, I, you know, would have been interesting if they had given themselves a, a, a name, right? Like we right. see the very first thing that we see as Jodie Whitaker's kind of walking through is their tags uh, spray painted on the walls, but it doesn't say, you know, like, oh, we're the block five or something along those lines.
0: But I kind of like that they didn't do that because I think it would have I, I don't know I think it would have been too, I, I th- this there's a part of this that feels kind of genuine with these characters that I think them making up a stupid name for themselves at you know 15 16 however years old would have taken away from
1: I absolutely agree with you and then and that's something else I really want to emphasize that I love not just like but love is that when you deal with a movie in which your main actors are kids there is a certain level of acting that you can expect. Right. And it usually bottoms out at a certain point. And at no point in time in this film was I ever taken out of the film by the acting. Each and every one of those kids feels genuine. Yeah. Uh, I believe them. I believe the way they speak, the way they act. I believe... And part of this is, and just to step back, you know, look behind the curtain, is that when Joe Cornish... You know, again, we should probably mention Joe Cornish's first film, right? This is his... Right. His debut film, when he wrote a script, he showed it to his actors... And they said, yeah, but we wouldn't talk like that. And so they are responsible for the dialogue and a lot of the interactions. So they brought something to it. So it's It's not an adult trying to write the way kids relate to one another. We are not getting a scene where Steve Buscemi is like, hello, fellow youths," or whatever it is, right? Like they're, they're doing (laughs) their thing. If I were writing this, I would have just, it would have been terrible. They would have, it would have been laughable. So uh, yeah, agreed. I think the, and I think the acting across the, across the board, regardless of who is involved, I think the acting in this film is really good, really believable.
0: Yeah. Well, while you're talking about script, that's another thing that I did think was very good about this is that it moves. We we mentioned earlier, it's like 88 minutes. It moves at a good pace. Um, There is some bad in that. I'll get to that in a minute. Uh, But it knows like Joe Cornish knows an audience's mindset. And I found Mm. that the movie was answering questions right about the time that my brain was asking them. So it wasn't me sitting here wondering, well, what about this? Well, what about this? Well, what about this? It was instead me going, well, what about the, Oh, that's, there's the answer right there in this, in the movie. Like it, it, it really did a good job of informing the audience what they needed to know, right around the time that they would be asking it anyway. Yeah.
1: The script is good uh, in certain aspects of it. There's certainly My Bad will evolve the script as well, but there's also some showing that isn't telling that I really liked where we get to see even, you know, we are presented as these kids as being troubled youth, but when they come back to their homes, the homes or whoever did the set design for this film did a great job because it's usually very warm. There's usually somebody in the house that our youths look up to, like you know, there's there's usually a parent there. We mm-hmm. get to see almost all of their rooms. Uh, y- y- there's this, you know, scene where they they're going to go out and hunt these aliens who they think are, are you know could easily be dispatched, and they go and get their improvised weapons. But we get to see you know, like what do their bed covers look like? What are posters on the wall? Who are the people in their kitchen? You know, don't worry, mom, I'll take the dog out. Sure, of course, that sort of a thing. Where it's not drawing going, see, see, uh, you know, they're not horrible monsters. They, you know, they have lives. So what we're being presented with both um, their public face and their home face are, are very different. And so it definitely tries to paint that picture of what the Council of States are, are not the monsters that necessarily we, their actions show us to be, right? So I, it's it's a little bit more complex than an 88-minute monster attack film
0: right? with kid actors deserves to uh, to to be able to produce. Okay, that's the good. How about the bad? What uh, what stands out to you as the bad bits in this?
1: You know, it's so funny because again, I really like this film, and when I was thinking about it, I was like, man, I don't know if I even I have something for the bad. And, and and thinking about it from your perspective and uh, from mine, because I know we we are going to be asking about which kid we were like, right? Like that's the thing we do with the Goonies. <laughs> and when I started thinking about that that's where I realized I think the number one problem with this film is when you have a script as tight as this one is, we don't get to We get a really good understanding of who the gang is as an individual unit, but I couldn't tell you anything specific to the the individual kids. I don't know much about them. You know, I couldn't tell you, like, I know that Biggs says that he can do things, and in the past he's gotten in trouble for doing. I can tell you that Jerome's got glasses, and part of me goes, maybe Jerome's the smart one. That's such a bad thing. <laughs> it's like, you could tell he's a smart one because of the way he dresses and his glasses. That's, yeah, like, is Pest a pyromaniac? There's, we have an excuse. Well, I also gotta say, love the script for giving them an excuse for carrying around fireworks on bonfire night, right? Like a, a night where everyone's clearly blowing up stuff anyway. But like individually, with the exception of Moses, I don't think we really get too much of an idea who the characters are. And I think that's the part of the downfall is I couldn't tell you much about them as individuals.
0: Yeah, I, I'm going I'm kind of along those same lines. Mine's a script problem as well, and that is, you know, as much as I commended it a minute ago for giving information to the audience at the time that they're. Going going to ask it doesn't do a very good job of laying down any exposition at the beginning of the film which normally I don't have a problem with we jump straight into the action we jump right. straight into Jodie Whittaker's Sam on her way home she gets robbed by these guys they encounter the alien they kill it opening titles and 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 it's just it's it's that fast as an outsider culturally to this culture i needed more explanation in some places than the movie gave me when it says attack the block i didn't realize that it was this one estate building i assumed it was like you know i think of a block of a street a city block you know that kind of thing and i did not have any clue as to why there were fireworks going off because there's a line early on that was like the halloween was last week and i was like why the heck are there fireworks going off then? And it wasn't until after I was done watching the movie that I made that connection of, oh, remember, remember the, you know. So I needed just a little bit more exposition. And I think that's kind of what you're saying as far as like the foundation of these characters as well. But I needed a little bit more because I'm not in that culture. I'm sure um, the native audience for this understands all those things. But for those not in London... Uh, I I don't know. Well,
1: you know one of the things, and I, I agree with you. I agree with you. As an avid Doctor Who fan, I, I kind of knew a lot of this stuff, right? Like <laughs> it's one of those things where like as an Anglophile, I knew this, but I wanted more information. And when I watch a film that I really like, you know, as soon as it's done, first thing I do is I go to IMDB and I read the trivia, I go to Wikipedia, yep. read the trivia. This is why we get along so well. <laughs> and it leads me down these rabbit holes. Um, You know, when we start talking about the RPG, there's some resources that I think people should Take a look at, and one of the things that I wanted to be able to know a little bit better was a little bit more about council estates. Uh, you know, again, shows up in Doctor Who. Uh, Rose and her her mother live in these council estates. I've seen it used, for instance, The Kingsman. I think we're getting a little bit more of an understanding. You know, if you say the ghetto in the United States or the slums in the United States, that is evocative, and you probably don't need any more of a shorthand for that, right? Um, I think we kind of know that they currently are not wealthy or to do, right? We see that when any kind of living with any kind of vertical architecture that's covered in spray paint, I think visually it gives you some clues, but you're right. You're right. You you, you need to do more. But if the film inspires you to go and do your own research, I think that's a win, even if it's not immediate. I I mean, don't get me wrong. A couple of points taken off for that, but, you know, you went and did some research. So that's a good thing. All right. That's the bad. What about the ugly? I don't think there's anything ugly in this film. I don't think there's anything that's so the, the uh, aliens. The aliens are kind of ugly, Drew. I, I think they look super snuggly minus the teeth. <laughs> um, if I had to choose something, I, I think the the initial quote. I'm going to put in quotes. Female alien, the first um, small white one, when it's strapped to Moses' back and he's running around, to a little looks like a little bit too much like a a, a muppet. But also, again. Not concerning. For me, the ugly were the negative reviews of this film. So I went on to Rotten Tomatoes and I was like, well, it's got an interesting score. It's pretty high. I'm kind of curious what people say, what they didn't like about it. And almost without fail, if someone didn't like the review, their review included the following mentioning immigrations and the color of our characters' skins. Mentioning the accents and not being able to understand them as Americans. And mentioning how teenagers should be acting. Uh, mentioning that they were rooting for the aliens to kill hoodlums, those hoodie-wearing hoodlums. There's a there's a lot of biases uh, available in the negative reviews of this film, which I don't think are necessarily reflective of the film and more of reflective of the
0: film critics' own prejudices see now i'm feeling very conscientious about everything i have said up to this point in the show (laughs) i don't i don't
1: think trust me these reviews come off as ugly no one you know and i'll give you another one too everyone's like well it's the middle of summer why is it the middle of summer reviewer because clearly the fireworks are being shot off oh you're an uh, you're an american people are like Uh, Someone says it was independence, British independence day. And I'm like, (laughs) when, when you can't do the basic research when writing, writing a review, maybe, maybe you should not be publishing that review. I, I didn't read one that was available that I went, this was well-written. This was well thought of. Um, The good reviews are really good reviews. The bad ones really come off as ugly.
0: But how about you? And what I'm what do you think? Change to Ravetel's film enthusiast instead of film critic. Because <laughs> Jesus, um, my only ugly is because of you, and it's 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 kind of your fault. Um, but I know one of the reasons you picked this movie because you brought it up in our intermission when you announced it was because Goonies uh, suffered from a pretty pretty distinct lack of representation, and sure. this movie does not. However women still kind of get the short shift here. You know, mm-hmm. that Jodie Whittaker's character, when she's first introduced, is a victim. That the alien that they kill so easily is a female of the species. So that's, that's my only real ugly. And I, it, again, it, it wouldn't normally bother me, but because you brought it up in relation to Goonies, I kind of feel like, okay, well, if we're going to be aware of that, then, then the female representation here isn't as strong as it could be. Now you do have, uh, Tia and Dimples, the girl gang, the girl, the, the girlfriends or the would be girlfriends of the gang that also live in the estate, and they're a little badass at times. So, you know, it, it's not a across-the-board kind of thing, but if you're doing a movie that is better representing a culture, then why not better represent, you know, everything as opposed to to still giving kind of the, the weak woman stereotype in there?
1: Yeah, I, I agree. I don't think anybody is ever presented as weak uh, in this film. I think Jodie Whittaker in particular is, is not considered weak. I mean, she's out... They're six to one, uh, and they have a knife. She doesn't. Uh, She certainly proves herself. Not that she needs to, but like she becomes just as useful to them through her own skills. uh, And she saves Moses' butt a couple of times. Uh, And and it really—it's kind of her story, almost more than anything else. She's almost a POV character for someone who is not a part of that community. But I'm glad that you mentioned this because I, I was going to, I had this whole little rant under my um, bad where it's like the, the the women of Wyndham tower are, we see them. We don't even really get their names. But, but as soon as those creatures come in, it's like, you do not break into that house. <laughs> I mean, giant monsters, you are in trouble. I think they're brilliant. Uh, and I would have liked to have seen more of them in just in general. Again, I would have taken another 15 minutes of this film just to get a better understanding of everyone's relationship to one another. Yeah. Uh, I, I think it's fine. I don't think it's good.
0: Yeah. Okay. All right. Before we move into our next plan segment, I'm going to throw in a new segment, which is called The Transparent Game Master. Because we (laughs) talked, we talked with the Goonies about how at times it kind of felt like there was a transparent game master kind of steering the thing. And you have that in this movie as well. And in this movie's case, it is the... Best on-screen visualization of a fumble roll you'll ever see (laughs) when he lifts up that sword and stabs the wall behind him and then can't bring the sword down. I was like, that's a fumble roll right there.
1: I'll give you another fumble roll, too. In that exact same scene, Dennis gets the gun. Uh, and points it at the monsters, and it turns out to be a toy. Come on, we, sh- we should be able to identify a firearm uh, at that <laughs> point in time. But because, like, that's how you start combat, right? It's like, oh, these things are coming in. You miss with their sword, you miss with the gun, uh, and then you end up uh, getting your head crushed, uh, which is a horrifying scene. We haven't even mentioned the
0: fact that children die. Because it's not a good thing, but it's not a bad thing, and it's not an ugly thing. I, I guess that would be my other ugly, is this is not a movie I can show my son, as right. opposed to many other Kids on Bikes movies on our list that I could sit down and watch with him. You warned me ahead of time not to watch this with him around, and right. you were right.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's, there's quite a bit of language in this one, um, mostly by Jodie Whitaker, which I think is brilliant. You know, they actually call her out, the adult, uh, on having... <laughs> Are using too much language, which is right. funny. You know, again, where are your morals? Where's your moral compass in this it's one? It's
0: Pest who calls her out on it, right? The mouthy one.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah Pest co- completely calls her out on it, and um, yeah, there's there's a the violence is fairly intense in this one. I don't. Again, I mentioned it's not really a horror film, uh, but. With the exception of horror films and dramas, you rarely get um, the death of children. And so I, I thought this was a really interesting way of approaching, especially from a kids on bikes and role playing game perspective.
0: Well, and that was it. And that was a point I actually meant to bring up when we were discussing, is this a kids on bikes movie? Because that's also part of what is a kids on bike story in my head is because when you introduced me to kids on bikes, that was one of the elements of the story that you told me about, which is. The kids don't die like your characters are not in mortal danger as opposed to like D&D. And and again, that's in my head. That is not in the definition that we laid down in this show. (laughs) Well, I mean, just to give
1: give the listeners a little bit of uh, background too. when we first pitched our actual gaming session, when when Rafe and I and our friends got together to play kids on bikes. I asked them what rating they wanted the game to be. If this were a movie, so I said, you know, gee, there's going to be no complications and everything is going to be fine and we're just going to get to spend some time with some characters. You know, PG, PG-13, there is going to be some complications and bad things are going to happen, but most of the bad things are going to happen off screen. Your characters are never going to be in dire
0: right. danger.
1: An R-rated film means it is going to run like a D&D game and potentially your characters can get killed and everyone voted for a PG-13 movie. Like that was the idea when I was presenting ideas and threats, there was a chance that someone was going to get physically injured, possibly even permanently injured, but no one was ever going to die. And that was because when I run that game, I want it to feel like we were watching a television show or a movie. This film is a hard R, like, <laughs> uh, and since we aren't really used to seeing kids get killed in film, just in general, like you and I, we, we when we did the review of the Blob, like there's a <laughs> again spoilers for the Blob, a kid dies, um, some teens die, but like an actual child dies, and it's shocking because you don't see that very often. And right. we get multiple deaths in this, um, and these are their friends and. Because of the frenetic pace, again, very similar to Goonies, a very frenetic pace. We never get to see these kids deal with the death of their friends outside of the immediately happening Uh, because they they are too busy running like you. There's a there is a whole other story once this film ends and everyone is having to deal with their trauma (laughs) like their home is destroyed. Uh, they're going to have to deal with the legal ramifications of everything that happened, but we don't get to see any of that. No,
0: and I'm glad we don't, but... Agreed. Back onto our our actual agenda. Drew, which kid are you from this
1: batch? Okay, again, this is a real problematic question because, like I said, I don't really get a good idea of who these individual characters are, but I think of all of them, What I imagine is not their actions are reflective of my personality, but what happens to them seems like the kind of thing that would have happened to me had I been in this situation. So therefore, I am choosing Biggs. Biggs is the character who says he can make that jump and then chickens out and then finally makes the jump from one level to the next but then ends up in a dumpster for essentially most of the film. And that really feels like the kind of thing that would have happened to me as a kid. Um, Yeah. So it was going to be either Pest or Biggs. I think I have to go with Biggs. I think Pest is far too confident to have been me at that age. Okay. How about you?
0: I uh, have never attempted to mug anyone. Uh, so that kind of leaves me only a couple of characters left and I, I don't get high regularly. So I'm Sam. <laughs> I'm, I'm the educated one among all the rest.
1: <laughs> so you're choosing not to. Go. I would have assumed with that setup, you were going to say probs or mayhem. Um, I but, almost uh, went that
0: direction. <laughs> yeah, I get it.
1: I, I you know. It, yeah i think i think that's perfectly reasonable um because i think she does even though she is an adult in this situation uh she is certainly a a character that is probably the most relatable for us and i would almost call foul if i thought these characters were well developed but i again don't think they are i think you can grasp at whatever straws you need to i think that's perfectly fair i, I applaud your your choices sir
0: All right, it is time to review Attack the Block. Uh, Reminder, we review these movies on a uh, two-axis scale, uh, rating 1 to 10 on how good of a film it is, and then how good is it within the genre, in this case, Kids on Bikes. So we'll start with how good of a film overall you think it is. Drew, how good is Attack the Block?
1: I really like this film. I I think I may have said that once or twice. So I'm going to give this, out of 10, I'm actually going to give this an 85 I think the rewatchability of this film is great. And even with the problems that it has with the lack of characters, I don't think it's necessarily a character-driven film as it's so much it is as an action and message-driven film. Uh, I think it's, I think it's, uh, yeah, I think it's up there. So eight and a half for me.
0: Okay. It, it's funny. I think we're going the reverse of what we did for Goonies because mm-hmm. uh, I'm going to go a little lower. And I think part of that is my familiarity with it because I have not seen it you know, 10 times or so like you have. Uh, I definitely do think I will revisit it, but I I think I'm going to put it just a little lower at like a seven and a half uh, out of 10. As I said, I think there's a little bit of expository issues as far as like, developing the setting to someone who's an outsider, developing the characters uh, beyond just, you know, that surface level that I think could have been improved upon. Uh, But I don't have any complaints about anything. I mean, the practical effects are wonderful. The uh, performances, as you said, are are wonderful. Um, I I do wish this was a movie I could show my kid, but, you know, that's not – I'm not going to take points off of a movie because I can't show it to my son. Right.
1: Yeah. Okay. Uh, We like to review our films both as, you know, what we thought about them – as films, and then how they hold up in the genre of kids on bikes. I almost feel like I just need to mention that on the last episode where we did this, we both rated Goonies a ten out of ten. Yes, we did in the genre because it sort of feels like the backbone of how all other films are compared, and it is and just saying it's one of the reasons I chose Attack the Block is to compare it specifically to the Goonies, and so now I'm really curious as to how you rate this film. Within the genre of kids on bikes, given that you have had some questions about its relatability to that genre.
0: The, the next sound you hear will be Drew disconnecting from this and we will not get to the role playing game part of. <laughs> um, no, I think I, as, a, as I said, if I watched this without prompting, if I had just put this on and it had been on in my watch list for a while, um, I don't think I would have thought of this as a kids on bikes story. I think I would have thought of it more as an alien invasion type movie. So I'm going lower than probably you'd like. And I'm going to say I think it's a six as far as a kids on bike movie. Um, I think as an alien invasion movie, it would be rated a lot higher. Um, but I I have some issues with it as a kids on bikes movie because we start out with unlikable protagonists who are frankly antagonistic to begin with. Uh, there are character deaths, which in my head shouldn't happen in a kids on bike movie. Although I do have one that I may pick in the future that... That, that has that, so I'm hypocritical there. Um, but I think I think a 6 out of 10. How about you?
1: Well, uh, this may very well be, again, mentioning that I haven't watched all the Kids on Bikes films, uh, one of my favorite... This actually might be one of my favorite films within the genre of science fiction. I really, again, dig this film. I'm going to give it an 8.5 out of 10. Wow. Beca- because of all the things that you just mentioned because it subverts the genre itself in such a way. I feel it is the exception that proves the rule Uh, because we can point, we can really, I'm glad that we chose Goonies and attack the block as our first two films to review because I really feel like everything else is sort of going to bounce between these uh, in in many ways. And I think most of our films are kind of going to fall into that and not many of you are going to go outside though. I have a couple of, ones that I think might surprise you, but we'll see about that. But again, I think given the choice, I'm going to hurt your feelings here. I'm sorry, buddy, but given the choice, I would much rather watch attack the block than I would Goonies. Uh, cause the nostalgia factor just, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. Ow. While I still agree that Goonies <laughs> is kind of that ur kids on bikes film, which kind of all adventure movies with kids on bikes kind of attains to. I think this is a, a film I enjoy more because it makes me think a little bit more. So That's yeah, fair. I'm going That's fair. much higher than you are, yes. clearly. But I'm not disappointed in in your score because it just means that you you, you have your opinions about it and I appreciate your opinions. <laughs> but here's the important part, Rafe. Yes. It's not just who we are. It's not what we think about it. It's that when we look at this film, we get to draft one of the characters presented in this for our Kids on Bikes draft. Now, before we choose a couple of things, folks, one of the things that Rafe and I have decided on is whoever is the person to suggest the film, they get to pick second, right? right? (laughs) So you get to propose a film with the full knowledge that you may not get the character that you wanted. Rafe proposed the Goonies. I snuck Data out from underneath him. I'm going to choose Attack the Block. I have no idea what Rafe is going to say, but I guess we should mention this too. When we drafted last time, Rafe, who did you choose for your team? Uh, I chose Mikey from the Goonies. Right, and I chose Data from the Goonies, right? So we are going to get seven kids, right? These are mundane characters. They don't have their own superpowers. Uh, They are kids on bikes. And then we can also choose one adult. So right, there's usually an adult in the background. We've mentioned it with, and this film, you know, it could be Jodie Whittaker. Rafe could choose Bruce. uh, I guess Ron from Ron's Weed Room, probably not. Um,
0: <laughs> but it's Nick Frost, so it you is never Nick know. Frost.
1: One of the things we didn't mention too is that I think that some reviewers didn't like this film because when you have a film that is. Produced by Edgar Wright, you're going to go in with that kind of "ooh, is this going to be like the new Shaun of the Dead?" And it's very much not. Even though no. I think there's a little wink and a nod to those types of genres, subverting the own their o- those films subverting their own genres, right? Like you right. Know, Shaun of the Dead isn't a horror film; as it's not even a com. It's like a comedy romance horror film. It's a lot going on in those, and I think there's a lot going on in this one. But that's not what we're doing right now. Now we're choosing. We are drafting. So with all of our kids available to us, and potentially some adults. Rafe, you get to go first. Who is going to be your draft from Attack the Block?
0: Oh, this has been a tough one. Um, I have been going back and forth about this all day. Um, because, you know, as a, a Doctor Who fan, of course I want to pick Jodie Whittaker, because she's the Doctor, except for she's not the Doctor here, and she would take up that valuable adult slot if I chose her. John Boyega is fantastic as Moses, I, I love his leadership, but I already have a leader, I specifically chose Mikey as kind of my leader because of the the heart that he brings, the soul that he brings to his group. So uh I, I don't feel like I can go with either of those. Part of me really wants to go with Dennis, uh, who as you said, he doesn't really do much in the movie, but he has a dog. Now, the dog dies. We should add that in as well. So the, so we never really get to see his relationship with his dog. Uh, but he has one, which tells me he's not a completely terrible person. But I think <laughs> I think I am going to go with the kid who brings the baseball bat and the fireworks and a hell of a mouth on him. Because uh, Mikey can deal with a char- character with a mouth. And I'm going to add pest to my oh. line
1: you monster (laughs) you monster what i love what i love about pest and why i was gonna choose him if you didn't is that he is both in a sense kind of the data and the mouth character all wrapped into one he can take a beating he's still like what i love about pest is every scene where they're running away because pest has just got a massive injury to his leg he's always the last one up the stairs but he's always the first one to say anything yeah i think pest is the choice for attack the block um I looked at all the ladies in potentially as as a pick. I I don't feel like we we know them well enough to to choose them. I would have gone with Pest. I am not sure if I want Moses because again Moses is very much the leader. If I choose Moses, uh, it is because I think his youth and leadership abilities would be very interesting with. The rest of the kind of the group, and I have no idea who's going to pick. Right, like there might be a better leader, and that might play. Like I like drama in my role playing games. <laughs> I may choose Dennis. I may choose Dennis because I I really think Dennis is an interesting character who potentially could have been the leader in this one. So who to choose? Who to choose? Looking at my draft, notice number one pest. Um, all right, I'm going to go with Moses. I'm okay. going to go with Moses. While I think that Dennis. Um, potentially could be a more interesting character. I I did f- completely forget about the dog. I think that Moses will do what is best for his team. And if another leader joins who he feels makes the right choice, I think he probably wouldn't step to them. But if he does feel like they aren't making the right choice, he will take over. And I think that will play out interestingly a role-playing scenario if I draft another leader. So I am going to go with John Boyoga's character, Moses, for this one.
0: All right. Well, that ties up our movie discussion part of the show. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we will start talking about how to gamify Attack the Block.
1: Microphones and Monsters is a Cthulhu D&D actual play with a balance of horror, mystery, and comedy. Our story begins in a 1920s Magitech Noir setting. We follow the story of Alistair. That power is very much something that I need, and I don't want that to stop. Victor. I don't think I want to help you. And Julian. It's burning. What happened here can't see the light of day. As they come face-to-face with eldritch horrors.
0: (laughs) I don't think you could ever stop me. And try not to fall into madness. Go to microphonesandmonsters.com or listen wherever podcasts are found.
1: Alright, welcome back. It is now time for us to discuss the gamification of Attack the Block. This is the section where we try to distill the spirit of the film and set up a way for you, the players, to run Attack the Block regardless of the system that you are using. Right. So in order to do this, we have to figure out what exactly makes Attack the Block attack the block. We like to call that the truth. So, regardless of what system you would be using, what things do you have to include to make your game feel like you are playing in Attack the Block? So, Rafe, I'm going to start first with one of my suggestions for one of my truths here. Sure. Uh, I think really at the at the very heart of this, this is a base under siege adventure, right? Which could mean anything. There's tons of tons of films that are base under siege, but I think this is the important part because we are playing to the strengths of a location that is Wyndham Towers. This is your turf, right? As your players, you are going to be familiar with this. Uh, So you're on familiar ground. You have advantage over most of the threats that we're going to be dealing with here because this is your home. Uh, If someone attacks your home, you got to protect your home, right? I think that's possibly one of the most key elements to attack the block. What do you think about that
0: uh yeah i i I think we want to refrain from making it home alone, though, so I think it's important that it's it, it, while it is your turf, it is not necessarily your home. I like the idea that it's an estate like like this, you know mm-hmm. it's that project housing or 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 such um yeah, I think that's a, that is an important element of this. And right, so just, uh, and unlike the Goonies, right, we're not dealing with traps. This is not something that you're necessarily
1: going to be laying out, you know, traps for the creatures or, or whatever it is that is attacking you. And uh, in order to kind of set up a better understanding of how to make your home your home, when we start going, once we go through our truths, I have a couple of suggestions uh, for mechanics that can can help with that in the zero session portion of it. Sure. Let's see. Do you have another one that you think would be good for another truth for this one?
0: Well, I think we hit on it at the end of our movie discussion. Um, But I think if you're going to run a campaign like this, you need to be transparent about it. But I think characters can die there is a fatality element to this kind of a story if this is what you want to tell uh, and that will help with something we've discussed in the last month's movie as well of keeping an ever-present that feeling of an ever-present threat that mm. it is not just that your turf is being attacked but it is it isn't it being attacked and your characters your players are in danger right
1: yeah and and you know, this way, no one feels like they can do anything they want. Uh, you know, this is setting it up as a hard. We we call this what a hard R, right? Like this is right. one of those situations where bad things are going to happen, uh, guaranteed. It's not. It's not like it could happen. N- not all of you are walking away from this. And if you say some of your characters are going to die in this game, there's also a number of other player like other characters in this film, where you could basically say, "Look, you're going to be introduced to a whole bunch of people who live on the block." So. Maybe roll up two characters. Uh, make, <laughs> make one where one dies and they could potentially pull up another one, like another neighbor. I don't sure. think there's anything wrong with that. And depending on the system you're using, that could play an important part. You mentioned threats. I think we need to talk about threats. I hate to always refer back to the Goonies, but it's. I think this works with the comparison. In the Goonies, there was a threat that was constantly pursuing them, right? The Fratellis are constantly pursuing them. In Attack the Block, there are three threats. Yes. Um, you have got your your alien threat, right? So uh, the goal of the alien, whatever that challenge is, is to kill you. Like, this is a thing that is definitely, without fail, when it finds you, it is going to tear you apart. But alien works both ways. It is both uh, a creature, but it's also not familiar with the territory. So when you are going up against this threat, you have advantage against it because you were familiar with the territory and it is not. That's very key for this one. The second threat is the home or the mundane threat, right? This is Hi-Hats. High Hi-Hats high is right. familiar with uh, the block and knows about Ron's weed room and knows where the kids potentially could come. And actually, surprise doesn't show up in anyone else's house. But when, when this threat comes after you, it's going to hurt you, potentially kill you. Uh, and it knows your turf, and so your adva- advantages don't necessarily work out uh, against them.
0: And if you're using uh, the, this as more of a model, then it's fighting you for supremacy of that turf. It is fighting you for supremacy
1: of that turf. You're absolutely right. Yeah, it's, the motivations are different. You can choose that out in the in the zero session, right, right certainly. Uh, and the next one, which I think is actually really key to attack the block thematically, even if it's not necessarily ever present, is the, the threat of authority. You know, in this case, it's the police, because I think if you're playing this game, your characters are probably not the town heroes. If you leave your turf, the authority is going to get you either through arrest, right? Detainment or potentially kill you, right? Uh, Not to be too political about this one, but I think that there is definitely uh, a, a threat of death from the police for all of these characters.
0: Well, and we didn't talk about that when we talked about the movie, but that was an interesting piece of social commentary for me from this movie in 2011. You know, the right. fact that that they 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 go to a conspiracy theory about what these aliens are because it's always it was drugs and then it's guns and now it's these new monsters that are, and their their whole purpose is to to take out the black boys. And I was like, that's kind of deep for this movie and at the end of the movie when the police show up, and it's like oh god is it more monsters yeah sort of it's the yeah. police so i and i don't think there's a problem with having social commentary in your uh, in your campaign oh
1: no and it's but definitely one of those things too where i think you decide to have that conversation in your sure. session 0 with your players ahead of time but i think if you're playing attack the block if you're doing if you're being inspired by it then that has got to be part of it i got one more truth uh this originally when i was thinking about this started as a game mechanic but i think it's also it, it kind of plays off of what we were just talking about. Your characters are either marked or unmarked, right? So the reason that uh, Moses is getting attacked by the, and a lot of these kids are being attacked directly by these creatures is they have these pheromones on them. That doesn't necessarily have to be the same thing, but the antagonists have marked you somehow. So it could be a contract hit. It could be pheromones. It could be magical based. It doesn't really matter what how you want to do it. That's entirely up to you and your game master, But I think we need to have some of your players be marked and some of them unmarked so that there is a distinct difference between the two of them and that will affect gameplay in the same way that Jodie Whittaker is allowed to do certain actions in an unfamiliar territory, right? That's the best thing is someone who is not necessarily sure of what's going on. She's new to the block, but she's allowed into their inner sanctum because she's the only one who could pull that off because Brewis is... It's too high. Um,
0: (laughs) It just uh, dawned on me that if you have them, it not only affects gameplay, it affects your group dynamic. Right. And the question then is, how long does it take? If you don't tell them who's marked and who's not marked, how long does it take before it becomes that scene from the thing? (laughs) <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The
1: the the blood test. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, I th- I think part of it is gonna be if you if you talk about doing this in your your session zero, maybe that comes up. Uh, but maybe you give them the first act to figure out why certain things are happening to some of them and not others. I think a a a good game master will figure out a way to set that up, and certainly we're here to give you some ideas. But I think those are four four ways of, of of kind of four truths about this story, right? Based under siege, where it is your home territory and you have advantage because you are at home. Uh, your characters can potentially die. They have been marked and you have multiple threats, two coming from outside, one coming from inside, which seems like a lot, but I feel like this is a fairly complicated story. If you just do, you know, aliens are attacking your home. Well, that's a lot of films, right? That's just a typical right. alien invasion story. This is neither a typical alien invasion story, nor is it a typical kids on bike story. We've talked about the the kind of the nuances of it. And I think there's a lot going on and those are the truths unless you've got another
0: one. I'm going to throw one more in just Please because, as I said, it's not something I normally would have thought of for a, a standard kids on bike story. And, and it kind of ties into your marked idea, but it's the idea that the, of anti-hero that these mm. are not the good guys. These are not the good kids who, you know, have a paper route or are, you know, going to school or that kind of stuff. These are the bad boy kids and right. – that, that works into some of the different elements that you talked about, like, especially like the authority threat, you mm-hmm. know, that, because if your kids are, if you're, if you're the good kids, if you're the kids of the straight A in school and they're always there and then they come home and they do their homework and, you know, all that kind of stuff, then there's no authority threat. So if you want that authority threat and, and it's funny how, I have played D&D campaigns where we're playing humanoids or the party is chaotic by nature or, or whatever, but I never would have thought of it with kids on bikes. And that's something to me that Attack the Block brings to the table is it's okay to have your kids be anti-heroes. Now, I think about like Stand By Me where you have, you know, Chris Chambers was the bad boy in town and had a reputation, but this is taking it to a whole nother level. Yeah.
1: I, I, well, just to mention role-playing games here for a second, I, I think one of the tropes that you can get in the Kids on Bikes role-playing game is the bully, right? right. So uh, the bully is an interesting characteristic when you only have one bully and everyone else is not. And so that. That creates creates that really cool inner group drama, but having all of them and having it sort of like us versus them, really cool. Who who knows if you maybe do your first act where you're actually in the middle of doing something. You mentioned the paper route. I'm already thinking, I'm going to be really cool if they were using the paper route to case out houses and to, to know who has canceled their paper for that week because, uh, they wouldn't be home. Therefore they could, you know, break into people's houses, right? Oh, That's sort now of a, we've thing. Added a
0: heist into the L into the story. I want to play the session now. I want to play the session.
1: <laughs> well, I'm glad because I kind of do too. Um, let's talk a little bit about the session zero. Um, because I think, again, we've mentioned that you've got to understand what your rating is, right? Like, you know that kids are going to die. This is one of those conversations you have really early on. You have to decide whether or not it's going to be political. Um, But if you're setting up this game, aside from those two things, one of the things that I I think is going to help with the feel of this is understanding the actual apartments, right? The estates. And, And I think one of the things that I thought was really beautifully done is the relationship with each other as neighbors. They, they're all in the same neighborhood, but we're dealing with a vertical neighborhood as opposed to a horizontal neighborhood, right? So I came up with a couple of questions. Rafe, if you have some more, I certainly uh, would definitely ask you for them. Um, but I think one of the things too is we were talking about a little bit about ranking. I think really on, I think you need to decide who lives on the highest floor. Like, like who lives on what floor? Because if things are chasing you and you're at like, you know, on the third floor, Who's available to help? So I mm-hmm. would have the entire group decide where you are ahead of time, how, how big the block is, how big, you know, cause if you're playing Dungeons and Dragons, it could be you all live at a tower or, uh, I mean, if you're playing, um, uh, Grant Howitt's, uh, Spire, right? <laughs> you're all, you're all in the <laughs> Spire. Why wouldn't you? Uh, this would be a great time to discuss where you are in comparison to the Spire or in Heart the City Beneath, right? Um, boy. I can't believe I'm just thinking about that now. I really should have developed something for that. But, you know, certainly play Spire, play Heart. It's so much fun. Um, Aside from where you're living in kind of uh, descending order, uh, decide who your neighbors are, right? It's like that Sesame Street song. Well, these are the people in your neighborhood, in your neighborhood. Who lives next to you? who is across the hall from you if if that's a kind of a thing. And then like, I would ask each individual player to come up with a neighbor who distrusts you and why, like, what have you done to, um, you know, perhaps you and your friends decided to mug them. And that may come into play. If one of them happens to be a nurse and you're hurt and, uh, they aren't going to help you suddenly. Or if, if the you have to convince them or persuade them or even threaten and intimidate them to help you. <laughs> I, I think that would play an important part, especially uh, with how we're setting this up. Also, maybe who of your neighbors is loyal to you. Um, and how do they show that loyalty? Like, how, did you, you know, it doesn't have to be another gang member. It could be that, you know, one of these boys who looks tough on the outside takes care of a, an elderly neighbor, make sure they're being fed all right, gets their groceries for them, right? Like they will protect the people in their block. So that might be kind of a, a cool thing to ask.
0: Well, and I would extend that within the gang as well. Like, you sure. know, within, within that building that that group dynamic of, you know, uh, keeping the loyalty thing in mind. Like who in mm-hmm. your group do are you most loyal to, you know? Yeah, that's true. I, I don't you know, know like, that I would bring the distrust element into it because we want them to be, Uh, a one unit, kind of like we get Attack the Block. But I would definitely go with the loyalty of who are you more loyal to Mm -hmm. and why? Like, bring up a story behind that.
1: Always fun. You know, if you're playing something like Fiasco, you have to come up with your relationship with the person sitting next to you. You know, maybe a a good thing, but then a better thing. Yeah, absolutely agreed. Or, you know, maybe uh, with that loyalty, we could come up with a mechanic where if the two of you are together, you might get some kind of bonuses. Like, where it's like, okay... If, if you're all working together as a group, this happens. If it's just you and Steve, uh, maybe you could do this because you were on that little league team. Or gosh, they wouldn't be a little league. They would be on cricket or, or a football. You know, that sort of a thing would be a really great way to kind of build those kind of... Maybe start off with icebreakers or <laughs> trust activities. Right, right. <laughs> um, uh, I like the idea, too, that you have an advantage because of the actual location so maybe what is something that you know about and i keep on saying the block but we're going to say your turf like what is something that you know about the turf that no one else does what is your special relationship where's like the best hiding place or a good storage spot or do you have the key to the janitor's closet? Or do you happen to know where there might be an escape tunnel? Something like that early on. And please, make that known to your game master too so it gives us a chance to uh, play around because certainly if you're going to spend the time, if you're going to take the time to create an advantage for yourself, I want to give you an opportunity to take advantage of that advantage. What else? What other questions that we could have? I mean, you know, you don't have to, I don't want everyone to have to make it a giant tome if you wanted to sit down and play this thing tonight. But I think these kind of sort of cover cover that. So that's definitely something that you want to work on with your session zero. And here's, here's one more, and I'm just so in love with this, uh, idea. Uh, I'm not patting myself on the back, but I am Rafe. I think if you and I are going to play this game and we're going to get a group of three or four other people together before we even start playing, we need to come up with our own slang, five to 10 slang phrases little patois as a group you do it together as a group and i think as a game master if my players are legitimately using this naturally successfully i'm going to give you a bonus because it's going to create an atmosphere and i think it's going to be super fun it's one of those things where i can see us doing it for one game session and then that becoming an inside joke in that circle of friends like forever so I think if you can come up with a couple of really good phrases and use them naturally and use them successfully, I think any Game Master it will reward you somehow. Game Masters figure it out uh, because it's going to build that group dynamic. You know, again, this is this is a kind of slime that you make up. You know, think uh, NADSAT from The Clockwork Orange or Newspeak from 1984 or, you know, whatever the, the, our South London kids are doing from Attack the Block. If you're a Doctor Who fan, things that the Kangs say in Paradise Towers. Uh that's probably the most obscure reference I'm gonna make. Uh and I apologize for it. I got one more, and, and it just it's kind of a mechanic thing in the in the session zero, and that is come up with seniority, not just who the leader is, but I like the idea of who has been living here the longest. I think that would play in really interesting because if a character is going to die, for instance, let's say you're playing the Moses character and I'm playing the Dennis character, and it turns out that Moses gets eaten and Dennis suddenly has to take command of the group, I think. kind of having seniority, not just in age, uh, would work. So, you know, maybe come up ahead of time. It's not based on charisma score or intimidation, but figure out within the gang who has a seniority. So if someone does get taken out, then suddenly that hierarchy changes. Because if I'm expected to be that backup character, am I the bigs the entire time, and suddenly everyone else dies and I have to, you know, go on uh, the offensive with props and mayhem, that changes the game completely. And that seniority kind of numeric, indicator suddenly will switch things up.
0: Although keeping in mind that by establishing seniority, you also are kind of establishing who's going to be marked if you are using that, uh, you know, that that supremacy for the turf type uh, storyline.
1: Absolutely. Um, and when we start talking about the different systems that you could potentially play this attack of lock on, I think that's there's a couple of games that really focus on that. So that'll work out really well with that. Well, let's talk a little bit about gaming mechanics and what sort of ideas that we can present. So regardless of the system, some ideas that we think that, not just the narrative aspects of it that give you the feel or the spirit of this film, but some mechanics that we could do. And the first is marked versus unmarked. I think we really need to emphasize that. And I love your idea of the players not knowing which is which. Oh, well, sure. I, I was thinking maybe might be kind of an interesting is once they get an encounter of the Game Master, also not... Mi- I don't know. What do you think? Game Master should probably know, right? Oh, yeah. Okay. So I was going to say, maybe everyone gets... So the Game Master doesn't think of it ahead of time. Maybe get, like, um, some cards that say marked or unmarked, pass them out, and then everyone flip it once, and they go, okay. You know, that could sort of thing could happen if you, if you want to go public marking or unmarking. Uh, otherwise, the Game Master has it. I think a reveal by the second act, you know, if you're doing a three-hour session, definitely by hour two, uh, you're going to want to reveal that so that their strategies can change, but I think it's going to be really fun to see them flounder a little bit as they get their feet. Um, but once they get that marking, that's how we can set up Act Three's finale. And I think sure. that's a really good way of setting it up. What else? What other gaming ideas could we do here? Uh, what about something with the, um, the creatures, the threat? I'm going to say threat, right? Because you may not be running them as creatures. I, I like the idea of legit aliens, but depending on the system and the world that you're building in, uh, you may not be running aliens, right? You you just want to bring in Call of Cthulhu again, don't you? You know what I want to do is it's not so much Call of Cthulhu as a Call of Cthulhu supplement. Uh, there's one called Harlem Unbound, which is it is just Harlem during the the Harlem Renaissance, uh, where you have to play. This is a Chris Spivey book. Uh, you have to play as a marginalized character, um, and in a in a non marginalized world where you know the th- the real threat is just being not white. Um, that is one of the first thing that jumps up. But you're right, that is Cthulhu, and this is not really a Cthulhu s game though. There are a couple of horror games I think work really well with this. What other things? I mean, we, we're talking about bikes, so right, you may want to get an idea of um, maybe mechanics for bikes, scooters, and such. Like you know, if you're trying to outrun something, I think this would a gaming session in which you have to outrun creatures, almost like a race, would be super fun. We get a couple of those because driving vehicles inside is always going to have hilarious, sometimes fatal results. Rafe, I actually want to throw one out at you. Uh, You had mentioned that you couldn't really envision playing a modern kids on bikes because things like cell phones would really upend a lot of the way story is told
0: in these. How would you handle cell phones in in this situation? I think the movie actually does a fantastic job of, of generating a response to that, which is if you if you watch the movie the characters do have cell phones but because they are kids and because they're i guess not in the 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 elite part of town uh, these characters have like prepaid cell phones right and uh, for the two characters who end up using them they're both very close to being out of minutes and so you essentially give them a limit as to how much they can use their cell phone devices by giving them a limitation on how how much minutes they have you know and it's not it's not something they can easily replenish in the middle of being chased by aliens so yes they have cell phones but you can limit that and i think that's good not only for an attack the block type game but for any kind of kids on bikes game if they want to set it in a contemporary setting then that's how you deal with cell phones you know you make it a a timed basis whether it's because they're they're prepaid and so they're almost out of time or the charge on their phone um you know that kind of thing i have frequently
1: when i have dealt with um out of area communication like how do you communicate between you know folks especially dungeons and dragons when you're dealing with magic i always limit the number of characters my players can use to communicate to one another so they have to you know for instance 140 characters i don't know where i'm pulling that number from but you know if if you were to use something like that it's hard to basically say help there's an alien invasion these we are not really sure why they're tracking us i'm stuck in a dumpster i don't have any kind of ammunition send help call the police do that kind of a thing you can't communicate that as well and speaking of communication the other thing too is if you're communicating with someone outside of the group that is in the know, if they don't believe you, they're not coming for you. And right? we
0: see that both in this movie and in Goonies. Right.
1: So in Goonies, of course, we go, sure, Lawrence. It's the time like those creatures, you know, yada, 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 reference. In this one, uh, I think it's Biggs. He's stuck in the garbage and he's shouting to who is probably his sister or one of one of the ladies. And she's like, you know, why don't you call me when you're not on your Xbox? You know? Right. And so that is essentially, you have failed your persuasion role. You've failed your communication role. Um, help is not on the way. Click. I think that works out really well. It's going to be something that is, is difficult. Um, the other thing too is because of we're dealing with threats, calling the police in this situation isn't necessarily going to make it better. So giving your characters a choice to either call the authorities, which could make it worse, or handle it on their own, which could end in,
0: result in their death, plays out for the drama. Right. So. Uh, no, absolutely. Okay. All right. So we we've gone over some some the truths. Uh you've come up with some session 0 ideas. You've come up with some really really good mechanical ideas I think here. Um what are you going to run an attack the block inspired game using? This is so hard, right? Because with Goonies there's so many different systems out there because
1: it's not combat heavy. Like my my go to was of course going to be, you know, the kids on bikes game. It's it's already designed for that sort of thing. It is not designed for that sort of uh, this sort of thing. No, um, so because there's I'm combat. Gonna, there's a lot of combat and there's it's lethal combat too. So I think one of the things that this film really emphasizes is how the individuals work as individual characters, but also as a group. So I was sort of looking at. Systems where you could support one another as a team. So, again, you know, Dungeons and Dragons, I think most people, it's kind of the go to game where a lot of people are going to want to go, yeah, that's really cool. How could I do that in Dungeons and Dragons? Again, you're going to use low level characters with fairly low modifier caps to show that we're dealing with youth. Right, they're not going to be as strong. They're they're going to probably be fast. They may not be as smart. They're certainly not going to be as wise. They may have, you know, charisma is probably going to be the highest thing for for them there. <laughs> but you're you're again going to want to limit the amount of access to certain gear, right? Like that's a really important part. Uh, one of my favorite systems, and one of the first things I thought about was the Powered by the Apocalypse system. Uh, and of those, I really dig Monster of the Week. But Monster of the Week really... The idea behind it is that the characters, the playbooks that you're using, each and every one of those, it really emphasizes playing different characters. It's more of a Buffy game than it would be an Attack the Block. Right. However, Urban Shadows, which is a game that I've mainly just read the rulebook to but not actually played. Again, if you want to invite me to an Urban Shadow game, I'm down. They do have factions that would help you to... Uh, relate to other factions, similar factions to your own. They have a a mortality faction, which means you're humans, you're mundane. Um, this is about the mundane fighting the supernatural. And I think it's not that far off to compare the supernatural to, um, alien invasion. So I think that game, Urban Shadows would really play off really well. It is kind of a horror game as, and that works. If you really want to emphasize horror, uh, there are two games that I really dig. Um, uh, one is 10 Candles, which is a, a game where you have 10 dice and 10 candles lit, and um, you roll the dice, and if you succeed by getting a certain number on any of the dice, your action takes place. But it's it's already assumed real early on that this is a horror game and horrible things are going to happen. If you fail, you blow out one of the candles. So the, as you start to tell this story, it's going to get progressively darker and darker, and you also take away one of the dice, which means your ability to succeed goes further and further away. This is for a less successful game than, (laughs) than attack the block. If you really want to take, you know what? I like attack the block, but I really wanted to make it more dire. Uh, I think 10 candles might be a good way of doing it on the flip side. Dread is played with an Jenga tower, which I think is a really excellent um, way of kind of modeling the actual block itself. The Wyndham towers uh, where when bad things happen, you remove the blocks and when the blocks collapse, bad things happen. So I think that will build up the tension
0: if you're specifically working with the horror aspect of it. And an, and an in-the-same-room group. We should add that as well.
1: Yes. You're, you know what? You're absolutely right. You're not really going to be able to play um, Dread with uh, <laughs> with Zoom calls. Uh We didn't mention Savage Worlds, a system that I think is really fun for pulp. I think the Goonies lends itself more, but with Savage Worlds, you can create um, a hindrances. So being young is a hindrance and you don't get as many access to uh, supplies. You're not as strong, Um, but it also emphasizes things like Streetwise. And I think a lot of these characters could benefit from that. Um, (laughs) I
0: thought about Shadowrun with this because you do play gangs. Um, well, and if you, and again, it's been, a, it's been years since I've looked at Shadowrun. I know they're not in the same edition because it's not even the same company as when I played it, but I remember them having a gang archetype for the game master to use. And I right. don't see any problem with taking that and making that the base archetype for the players to use. And therefore you have a weakened character.
1: I agree. I completely agree. Yeah. I mean, I think any any game master can bend the rules to almost anything. I mean, if you want to do Wander Home, well, you don't do Wander Home with this. this. is this is not a pastoral game. Um, <laughs> so I got two more that I was thinking. Again, I think my main vote, if you really want the short version of it is Urban Shadows, I think this is the ideal one. Blades in the Dark is almost feels like it's perfect for this, even though Blades is, is a heist game that's based sort of off of the a darker fantasy version of the Leverage role-playing game. Um, but with Blades, you do have a lair, you do have turf, um, you do work as a team, you get to uh, activate uh, abilities as team members, and it's set up for you to be criminals, and it makes sense that you would have enemies within Duskfall, which is the city this takes place, but you could certainly design your neighborhood around the Wyndham Tower area. Uh, and the right. last thing is, I was looking at Fate today, um, again from Evil Hat Games, as one that I, we didn't bring up last time, but it is a, a pretty fun game where it works well with both um, statistics, but also narrative. And I I, I feel like you could... this feels like less of a narrative game and more of a a statistics game, but again, you could work with anything. There are certain stunts that you can, your characters can have that will help build good teamworks. Like, you know, there's stunts for athletics and stunts for fight and stunts, uh, stunts for provoke, all of which build... I think what what we see our characters doing. So I think any of those systems, I think my vote would probably be Urban Shadows. Please, if you can think of something that's better, uh, let me know. But I think, you know, D&D, you're going to be able to do it. Urban Shadows is pretty good. Kids on Bikes might be a little tricky. If you really want to go heavy on the horror, Ten Candles of Dread, and then Blades in the Dark, I think would work out pretty good. So I think there's a wide variety of games I'm sure with if you use the truths and the mechanics in here you can play just about anything.
0: Okay. Now you did put in here an interesting additional resource that you want to recommend.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um I so I we'll have a link in the show notes is I, when I was doing my research especially about learning a little bit more about the council states cuz I didn't want to come off as a total noob and like you know, oh, it's just simply an apartment complex, Uh, there is a really good paper that was written called Attack the Block, Monsters Race and Rewriting South London's Outer Spaces. It's by Laurie Palmer. Um, I thought it was an excellent read. It's good on the history. It's good on the architecture. It talks a little bit about the representation of that area, both fictional and um, historical in media. It's a bit of a read. You know, I'm probably like 20 pages maybe up to half an hour depending, but there's some really good notes. And I think if you really want to make it true to the film, that would be a great uh, resource for it. Fantastic. Rafe, this is, <laughs> I think we've ended up talking a lot more Uh, than I was originally intending, Not originally intending. I want to talk about this for like the next two or three hours. But uh, (laughs) I got to eat dinner at some point, man. I know. (laughs) I know. I'm really excited uh, about this. Now I kind of want to go back and watch the movie again. Um, But that's it for this episode. Folks, uh, join us in two weeks for our Attack the Block intermission episode where we'll discuss our second opinions if we have thought of anything that we missed this time around. We'll go over any listener emails that we've received. We'll chat about what has grabbed our attention on Kickstarter? And most excitedly, Rafe is going to select our December Kids on Bikes film that we are going to gamify on the next proper episode. So if you have any opinions of your own about anything that we've discussed today, you can join in the conversation by emailing us at the Never Say Die Podcast at gmail.com. You can find our Facebook group at Never Say Diecast. I apologize, it is a private group. You will have to ask to be admitted, and I will happily do so. We are on Twitter
0: <laughs> at Never Say Diecast. Uh, thanks to Chris Talent for our wonderful theme song and to Megan Daly for our show title artwork. And of course, you can find each of us individually. Uh, I'm on Twitter at Hess, Talnhess, T A L N H E S S. And I invite you to check out my other podcast, which is currently on a small hiatus, but still plenty of episodes for you to check out of Have Not Seen This. Uh, And I can be found on Twitter at Drew M. Meyer.
1: Uh, If you want to talk about Doctor Who, there's a a whole new season of Doctor Who called Doctor Who Flux that's going on. We're discussing that every month at Who and Company. And remember, even if you play 50% of your game session stuck in a dumpster, never say die.